G'day, I'm Osher Ginsberg. And I'm Charlie Clawson. We are two dads who, when we found out we were going to be dads, went looking for a podcast that could help us navigate what it means to be a dad in the modern world. I mean, there were parenting podcasts, but they all seemed to be aimed at mums, or at the very least, mums and dads. Yeah, there were no podcasts for dads specifically, and certainly not dads who want to be hands-on and do their share of raising their children. So, we started Dad Pod. A podcast by dads, for dads who don't want to be shit dads. <laughs> Each week we share our own stories from the good and the bad to the thermonuclear tantrums, as well as talk with some of the biggest experts in the field to help all of us become better dads. So if you're a dad, a mum dad, or a dad to be, search Dad Pod where you get your podcasts. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week is Fofop alum now. I think uh, I, I can say that after more than three appearances. Adam Zwa, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I like being an alum. An alum. Is it alumni or alum? Well, what are they? Does it mean the same thing? Uh, I looked it up once. As, uh, so you're alumni if you're, you know, if you're, you know, like you are a Xavier alum or you could be alumnus. Mm. I don't know what's the plural. So plural would obviously be alumni. From the Latin alumni, meaning a member of. I don't yeah. Know, I'm making that up. I guess, I guess so. I, I didn't, I got to school in grade nine and we did grade eight. Grade eight was when we did, um, so when I went to my uh, my posh school, yeah. um, I got there in year nine. So I missed out on doing Latin, which was year eight. Uh. I, 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 when it came to choosing languages at my school, you could choose, I think it was French or Italian or Latin. And I chose Latin uh, with this high-minded idea that, well, because it's really the history of the English language, it'll give me greater yeah. insight into English. Uh, Latin and Greek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a terrible decision that was. Well, I mean, the Catholic Church wasn't even doing Latin masses at that point. Like there was no, it was purely an <laughs> academic pursuit. There was no practical application for learning Latin. And then I wasn't ever, I think my last Latin exam was in year 10 or maybe year 11. And I think I scored seven out of 40, however it was marked. And I remember the teacher just wrote a note saying, <laughs> you're not even trying. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very Mate, you're lucky to get, I mean, seven's fine. You know, I, I do, I do kind of seven out of 40, those sorry, people. Did I say seven out of 10? I meant seven, oh, out, seven out, of out of 40. Yeah, sorry. Well, look, I, I envy people who, who, who've got a bit of Latin. I, I just kind of, it just elevates them in the conversation. And also, you know, I, I would love to, I, I just don't have the, the bandwidth to be a snob yeah. about anything, you know, but I do I, I do admire snobs. I go, good on you. You you know, you have to do a bit of work to be a snob Yeah, what? about anything. You need to really hit the books. Well, I think our year 10 Latin teacher, Mr. Hartley, I believe his name was, and he was that classic, real dry, uh, academic kind of teacher, like the elbow patches and everything, but never showed any kind of flash of personality or, or humor or anything. And he was very, very rigid in terms of how you know you learnt how you learnt all the kind of you know the OST mustisnente and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I remember yeah. we had this one class where he just had us translating these phrases 
these Latin phrases that we'd never seen before. Like he wrote up like three different or four different phrases and they were quite complex and we're sort of breaking them down by part and the derivations and everything. And then by the end of the class, what we realized is we're breaking down dirty limericks in Latin. <laughs> like <laughs> there was one, and I can't remember if this is the exact. Mr. Hartley. Yeah, Mr. Hartley, but it was something like hook-esque, uh, uh, um, hick-esque, uh, something like Lus in, Luscus in Duperator, which is, this is my one-eyed general. <laughs> oh, fantastic. He was obviously having a good day. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I did have a, a German teacher called Dr. Melson who was very stylish. He used to wear leather flares. Um, <laughs> like he, really? To a private like he school? Like he was being stylish. In, well, he would have. I was absolutely that. I went, went to school in like late 80s. So he would have been, he thought that cool fashion was what whatever was in Germany in the 70s when he left it. Right. Right. Okay. And so, um, like the Berlin years for David Bowie and, and Nick Cave, he was like, that's yeah. yeah. Well, that's that. It's the Seinfeld thing where, where you can tell the greatest year in a man's life it's, it's the clothes he's wearing. Yeah. Um, so, so Miss Dr. Melson, beautiful head of hair, very stylish, everything. Had, um, he could scull like a liter of, of beer without like dro spilling a drop because he'd take us to the Munich Steakhouse in Brisbane for excursions where he'd like get into sculling competitions. Fantastic. Had a scar down his neck. So I don't know what, like it was obviously a war wound mm. of some sort. Um. Anyway, uh, a friend of mine, like a few years after I left, a friend of mine ran into him in the street and he, and he said, where, where are you, where, where are you, he asked, my, Dr. Melson asked my friend where he was studying. My friend said, USQ. And he said, who else is there from school? And um, and my friend said, Adam Zwa. And Dr. Melson said, Zwa, university? <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> 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 I hope he's still alive. He was great. Yeah, there was one teacher. Um, we had one King of the Kids. Uh, well, we had a couple of King of the Kids. One of our headmasters, who was a priest, was a King of the Kids. Um, and his sort of default was always dirty jokes. Like, you know, he'd always order, you know, uh, uh, ask you what hand you wanked with and all this kind of stuff. Like, really Oh, my on, God. Yeah. But he ended up leaving like scandalously leaving the priesthood and marrying a married woman. Like he sort of went from zero to 100 in, in terms of like Catholicism. Like not well, only hang on. So this is what he was at Xavier. Yeah. And then he, um, and then he, he left, he, he was a priest and he, he, then he left. He was a priest. He was a headmaster and he left and married uh, and, and, <sighs> and ran off with a woman who was married. Um, that would have been the front page of the age. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I can't remember if it, it's my, my memory is so vague. I can't remember if this is still while I was at school, or if it happened after I was at school. But there was another teacher, and I can't remember his name either. Probably won't bring up his surname, even if I did, because he. Uh, but he was like the real yeah. king of the kids, like the guy that all the students loved. You know, he was like one of the boys. You could hang out. You could talk to him about anything. He was a confidant. Um, he ran the ski trips, like when he when we did the ski trips, he was the guy who organized it and. He was just a fun, fun guy. And then it turned out he had embezzled like tens of thousands of dollars from the school. Like these, I think these ski trips were a, a, front, a front for him just like skimming uh, like a whole heap of money. And so it's just like, oh, wow. Uh, no wonder it was happy. I'm just looking through your your notable alumni. Yeah. So Tim Tim Fisher, former deputy oh, there's a lot. PM. Yeah. I think I saw um, part of the D generation. 
Uh, I think Santo and, and Tom Gleiser. Oh, Santo went there. Okay. Um, I'm just going looking through it. Obviously, Bill Shorten. Former um, opposition uh, leader Tim Smith, I believe. Or Oh, my God. Was Tim Smith there? The, uh, oh, no. He was Scotch, I think. Um, Josh Kennedy, current Swans yeah. co-captain. Yeah. A lot of AFL um, footballers. Oh, Luke Ball. Yep. Luke right. Ball. Yeah, Tim what uh, Collingwood and Joe Watson. Joe Watson, isn't it? Yeah, David Burke, former Tiger. There's a lot. I mean, you could literally it's Assumption and Xavier are AFL footy factories. Um in fact, I think my year level, like when I was when I got to high school, Xavier had won like 11 of the last 13 APS, you know, AFL premierships which they tell, you know, they tabulate by most wins in a season. And then my year level came along and we were the first year level. To not even to like only win like three games for the year or something like that. We just a bad year. We were just a bad Never year of football. Together. Football. A lot of entertainers, comedians. Lawrence Long, Michael Chamberlain came out of that. Uh, oh, really? I came out of that year, but yeah, not a lot of um. But, but here's a, here's a funny factoid. So, so so Les Patterson, the the fictional character portrayed by Barry Humphreys, attended Xavier College. <laughs> yeah, well, that would make sense. Um, because because obviously Barry Barry used to make fun of Catholics. Yeah. Well, um, reading uh, your book, 12 Summers, which we talked about last time you were on the show, I actually found a, a lot of the stories you went to, you boarded at your, your high school. Yeah, yeah. So Br- Br- Brisbane Grammar, which is, uh, I'm just looking up now, f- famous for um, Malcolm Farr, Canberra-based political journalist, Michael Ware, uh, you know, CNN journalist, David Malouf, the, uh, the novelist, um, obviously Powderfinger. Um, they uh, all go between. If you a few a few heard a guru, a few gurus, really, and then you know a lot so of the wall, wallabies. Or a Queensland band. I always thought they were Sydney. Well, one of them was I. I think it's Brad Shepherd went oh, there. Okay, right. Because I think Dave um, is a pretty like tried and true Sydney. So I used to see his um, XB Falcon or his Ford Cobra in Bondi all the time. Like <laughs> his white Cobra with the racing stripes. Yeah, Robert Forster, go betweens. Oh yeah. Um, I. I'm just, I'm just, and then like a whole bunch of wallabies, <laughs> and then a, bu- and then a bunch of, uh, um, God, the wallaby. It, it, there's like you know just heaps of wallabies, and then there's there's a few cricketers. Yeah, we're but reading anyway. your 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 memoir, uh, your memoirs, and your experience of boarding school just brought back because there was boarders at my school as well, and oh, yeah. um, and this the the. <laughs> The story that the wank police. Uh, oh, just yeah. let people know what, what, who were the wank police. Okay, so that, that was a that was a cool. I mean, you have to understand, late eighties Brisbane Fitzgerald Inquiry. Uh, it was chaos. You went to this expensive school, so the day school were all like super cool kids, super cool kind of kids, uh, ac- very academic. Um, you know, in the in the in lunch hours, they would be arguing about the, you know, Joy Division versus New Order. It was just, you know, they were all kind of very urbane. And then you had these, so that was um, that was the 1,300 people were day students and then you had 200 people who were boarders and they were all from the country and they were just like, they didn't need to pass the academic requirements to get in. Um, and so essentially that the IQ dropped 10, 15 points as soon as you walked into the boarding, hall, boarding house. And it was chaos, and the, you know, you had a, the book. Each dorm had a kind of a little housemaster who were, 
who were rugby guys. Like we had Greg Martin who played for the Wallabies um, and they just didn't give a shit about any discipline or anything. So essentially it was the kids, it was Lord of the Flies, it was the kids looking after, you know, disciplining fellow kids. And the, the biggest faction in the boarding house uh, as far as kind of power, the biggest power faction were the wanking police. And that was like <laughs> five or six guys, all pretty cool, um, uh, running around in Sunny Boys T-shirts. And um, they, and they're all from Noosa. Um, and they So they would, were a self-appointed Self-appointed vigil- group. I mean, ironically, vigilante, a boy, vigilante <laughs> group uh, with a moniker of yeah, police. Yeah, yeah. A- yeah, yeah, and so you'd be on the toilet, and they, and then suddenly, and this would happen periodically, a face would jump over the divider and look over you, and just see if you're wanking, <laughs> and um, and if you w- and if you were wanking, that was the end of your career at that school. Mm. It would just go the the news flash. It would go straight from the toilets into the boarding house proper to the house masters to the day school. And it was pretty much, you were, you were gone. And I, you know, it never happened to me, but it happened to a bunch of guys who I was friends with. And it was just horrible for them. It was horrible because it was literally bullying for the next three to five years. So yeah. what would happen, it would be like, you know, someone get caught to be like, Joe blogs, busted wanking yeah and then he's like we'd go out into the day school and and it was just horrible um and do you think, do you think uh, like some of these uh, was it like the spanish inquisition do you think some of these were just like whether or not the, the kid had been caught they were just made up because i know there was kids at my school like there was guys who came into the school with nicknames from the junior school and you're like, <laughs> like there's one guy whose nickname was hoover and uh, the rumor was that his brother had caught him putting his dick in the vacuum cleaner, and yeah. everyone just accepted that that was the the truth. And and like it had gone beyond bullying to the point where it was just an accepted fact. He was just Hoover, and even Hoover. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's awful. I'm trying to think what his real name was, and I can't remember. I just yeah, remember that. Okay, Hoover. Yeah, that's a big thing too. You need to remember their actual names when you go out into the community or post school because um, all the guys I know who were Buster Wanking had wanking-related names. Uh, um, God, but And so what would happen, it was like there was one guy, and it, this Wilfred fans will know this, um, it, it, he was called Tuggerdug. And, and so you get 200 boys for assembly on Friday and Saturday nights and the housemaster would come and say a few words and then we'd watch a video. It was before the days we had screens. And you, it was like, you know, you had – had one TV, just, you know, 200 guys sitting around it. Um, And, you know, watch a movie that the prefect had chosen. Anyway, so we'd all have to walk into the assembly. And so then Tiger Doug would walk in and 200 boys would be going, Tiger Doug, 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 Tiger Doug, 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 Doug. And it was just like, it was just, you know, it was like kind of a menacing. Yeah, It's the worst part of masculinity it was this menacing chant and i always wondered what happened to that guy and then i mean all the one just per your question all the guys i know who got busted did admit to it right um but was that under duress was that like you know the no they just went like something like that where it's like under interrogation you just you admit to it just to end it look they were generally new kids okay 
and they didn't know that we had such a kind of puritanical uh, thing about wanking, yeah. not not to wank. And so they go, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, like, of course, Everyone because from wanks. their point of view, it's like everyone does it. What am, yeah. you know, what am I being hounded for? What did I walk into? It's like walking into the south, like Alabama or somewhere, yeah. you know, and and uh, doing something slightly kind of sexual. Yeah. <laughs> like being gay maybe in, in Alabama. I mean, boys' schools um, are weird environments, aren't they? Like, you know, there's that side of it. It's the weird kind of like suppressed sexuality thing, but there's also the, I mean, especially in the 80s when you and I were younger. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, I remember um, – uh, going to a friend's mother's, a friend of mine, his mother had passed away and it was only a couple of years after my father had passed away. And I would have been like 13 at the time. And I remember sort of being at the funeral with a bunch of guys from school because um, obviously all friends with this kid, his mother had passed away. And, you know, just during the service, I got really upset because it obviously reminded me of the time my father died and I started yeah. crying. And I remember yeah. my friends were like appalled and, kind of getting angry at me for crying like stop crying oh, wow. like what are you doing like it's yeah. not about you and it's like yeah i know <laughs> like this is not i'm not trying to oh, take attention God. away and i even remember uh, like even a year after my dad died this football team i played for um we all went out for a pizza night before the season started you know and when i think we had pizza and then went to luna park and it was a similar thing where i got a bit overwhelmed and started crying and, and went to like, you know, go to the bathroom to cry. And one of the coaches coming in and berating me <laughs> for like ruining the night. Like yeah. just, you know, just yeah. making everyone uncomfortable, stop crying. And it's just like, holy shit. Like I really that, hope that all that boys fucked. schools have changed since then. And that like. Oh, they have. They really have. But that is horrible, mate. And also you would have been known because not many kids would have experienced tragedy in the sense of a parent dying at such a young age. And so you would have been known as the kid whose dad had died. Yeah. You know? So it makes you a bit weird. I mean, you're, you become an other automatically. Yeah, that, that's right. And it's like, because they don't know how to actually process that kind of grief. And, you know, um, uh, because they never experienced it. And some people, you know, get to their 40s and never experience a parent dying or anyone close to them dying, you know? It's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, at school, they... You know, I mean, it's absolutely appalling that 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 teachers or coaches or pe- you know people in authority didn't have any access to how to do help some help a kid deal with that uh, situation. Yeah. It really is, but I, I totally relate to it. Well, I, I do. Re- I also do remember um, being funneled into uh, like in year. So the year after my dad died, they had this, I guess it was like a Christian counselor, like, you know, a sort of religious based counselor. And it wasn't optional, like me and another kid whose parents were divorced and another kid who had maybe lost a parent as well. Like the weird, you know, the kids had experienced some kind of trauma were funneled into this involuntary counseling that we had to do like one, you know, once one lunch every, every week or something. And it was, just this this woman who was so ill-equipped like she was approaching it less from a psychological point of view and more from a religious point of view about like yeah you know, well your dad's in heaven and everything is good and you know he's proud of you and all this kind of stuff and it was just i just remember it was confusing more than anything and the kid whose yeah. parents was was divorced he felt like well what am i doing here <laughs> like my parents are <laughs> like 
my mum and dad are both still alive. Like I feel like I, this is kind of awkward for me to sit here and listen to these other kids talk about their like, dead siblings and parents and all my parents, uh, they just don't get along. <laughs> I mean, I it was the best help. intentions. They wanted, they thought, oh, this is good. We can help these these kids who are going through a tough time. But it's like one size fits all. Divorce, that, you know. <laughs> that's, that's a I, I, do. Death. I do. I do love it. I Just bear in mind, you know, I, the boarding house, I mean, you're so, Xavier was so far advanced, more advanced than my school because, um, Oh well, Skippy Lynch was the uh, was the counselor, and he was a pedophile. Oh yeah, and um, we had a few of those too. <laughs> yeah, and then and then, but the other thing was that the um the boarding house that so one of the one of the kids in the boarding house killed both his parents. Oh shit! And he went to jail. Um, and then there was another guy who went to. Who Hang went on, to sorry, jail while not while he was daughter. a teenager, when as an adult. Yeah. What? I just I don't know exactly. I'll just look it up. I'm not going to say his name. No. Um, but that it was it might have happened very. If it didn't happen straight after school, it happened. So during school, it happened soon after. Oh my god. And um, but he went to yeah. Obviously went to jail for life. So he would have been very. He would have been late. Um, 19 he was. So yeah, he'd left school. Um, so he, he murdered his parents. Um, and then there was another guy who went to jail soon after for, uh, soon after leaving school, um, for manslaughter. And then there was another guy, this is all in my kind of era. And then there was mm. another guy who was the syringe bandit. So remember in the like eight, late eighties, oh, sorry, early nineties when AIDS was such a scary thing. And so people would walk into Seven Elevens with syringes full of blood and go, "This is AIDS, get over the money." It happened to me. And you, oh, really? I, yeah, when I was working in a video store in Sandringham, um, this couple came in to the store. This guy and this girl. And it was back in the days of VHS, where you'd keep the tapes out the back. And uh, one of them had brought up, like you know, the cover of the video they wanted. I'd gone out the back to get the tape, and when I came back out, they were both behind the counter trying to open the till. And I was a bit sort of like flabbergasted and I said, what are you doing? And the guy pulled out like a bloody syringe and was like, you know, this is HIV or whatever, like open the till. And I don't know what was going through my mind, but I just, I was not intimidated. Like I didn't, I found the whole thing a bit <laughs> kind of bizarre and weird and, and he wasn't overly aggressive or threatening. Like he wasn't much bigger than me. He wasn't yelling, you know, he seemed kind of scared and nervous and she seemed a bit, you know, they were junkies. And she seemed a bit like flighty as well. And so I just refused. I said, no. And then he sort of didn't know what to do. And he was kind of like brandishing the needle. And in my head, I'm like, well, I think I could sort of step back. I think there's a broomstick here. I feel like I could swat him away. <laughs> so I just said, no, I'm not going to open the deal. I said, but look, I'm, I'm going to call the cops, but I'll give you a minute to get out of the store before I do it. And then his girlfriend was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And so... I just remember the last thing he said, he sort of stared at me for a moment with this like bloody needle. Then he just said, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he just bolted and I let them go. When for a second, I contemplated not calling the police. Cause I'm like, Oh God, this is sad. Like who knows what situation has led to them doing wow. this. But then I was like, fuck it. That guy like, was threatening me with a bloody syringe. I did. I did call the police and Holy yeah, shit. they had done. No, you're a, what a cool cucumber you are jesus uh, it was weird man like i don't think i am a cool cucumber in normal circumstances it was this specific set of circumstances i just did not feel like if i had walked out and he'd smacked me over the yeah, head 
or had started yeah, yelling yeah. or, you know, made himself big or whatever. Like, you know, I have no interest in getting into a, a like a physical confrontation with anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what, what was the movie they were after? Uh, what movie remember. did you go back? I, I don't, I don't remember, but I do remember like, this is, it's so, but I thought she was quite cute. And I remember when she was like, <laughs> walking around the store, I sort of was like, oh man, she's cute. Like, I wonder if they're a couple, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, then yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah. was enough to kind of distract me. I mean, she wasn't flirting with me or anything like that. I was just sort of looking at her. But um, yeah, apparently they had done a whole, they had, it was, they were on a, a run of stores from Frankston. They had been hitting like servos and retail shops all yeah. the way up. Um, and I remember the cops came and Cassandra, you know, upper middle class suburb, they don't get a lot of that kind of nah. action. And so the cops are just so excited to like tape up the store and zoom around in their yeah. cars. And, and I do also remember the detectives <laughs> like showing me, they had some mug shots to show me and then being quite insistent that I finger certain ethnic groups like they were <laughs> they were directing me towards certain perps that they obviously had an issue with or were really hoping oh. that they could pin it on and i was like no it wasn't it wasn't no it's, it's the cop stuff in those days mate hang on i'm just getting my, my jacket you know i think I, I mean i wrote about that in the book too which um my this girl who i my first ever girlfriend we she broke up with me and i was devastated and then about four weeks later, she got a car stolen <coughs> and um, and the cops went around to her place and said, <coughs> um, any idea who might have done this? You know, so often it's someone who's close to you. And, and she said, no, 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 everything's fine. Although I did break up with my boyfriend uh, a, a few weeks ago and he's pretty upset. <coughs> oh, really? Really, madam? Um and so I'm sitting in the dining hall that's the, with 200. That, that's the, the cop circling your house at the moment, sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting in this dining hall with 200 people. And, you know, it was like, you know, we're between, we're all undergraduates at, at university and um, on, on, on campus. And so you, it, when two guys walk in with Roger, wearing Roger David's suits, you know, they're not yeah. students, they're cop. <laughs> And uh, so I was taken downtown, yeah. given a good question, good, good questioning, and uh, and then fortunately, you know, oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't beaten up or anything, but it was yelled at. There was a good cop, bad cop, a lot of threatening behaviour, and then they end up finding the dude. Yeah, right. It wasn't me. Obviously, it wasn't me, and I uh, wouldn't even give me a cab charge home. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I remember a cop hitting on my my ex girlfriend, like she had her car broken into. Um, uh, you know, she's a very pretty girl, like an actress. And I remember, um, the cop was, uh, you know, in all honesty, he was quite good looking himself. They would have made a great couple. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, he looked like he could have been on, he looked like a TV cop. He was good looking, had a tan, muscular. But I remember, like, you know, we were down by the car, broken window, he'd pulled up and he was just, you know, taking notes. But he was just out and out flirting with her i can't remember the exact thing he's like now wow. i'm gonna to have to get your number i promise i'll only call you for professional reasons and she's like oh you and i'm like hey i'm oh. standing right here <laughs> jesus now they've got three kids yeah no exactly <laughs> that's fucking hell it was yeah it was a, it was a it would have been a good time to be a cop let's put it that way yeah um Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I knew a cop in the in the late nineties. He was a friend of a friend, and like this dude was the most 
amoral, uh, untrustworthy. <laughs> like this guy would, uh, you know, he would he would sell drugs that they had stolen from like raids. He would have sex with people on, while on duty, you know, like people that they'd picked up. He was just, it was that classic bad lieutenant kind of cliche. Yeah, yeah. Just like he, he just wanted, he just yeah. wanted a license to, to behave with complete impunity. And then <laughs> like, you'd think that some, like at some point he would get his just dessert, some kind of like internal affairs or whatever, but he hurt his back in some operation uh, like as in police operation, and then just got a huge compo payout. So the taxpayer, this guy, like basically right. rode roughshod over the system for five or six years, and then retired in his early thirties because of he got like a compo payout. Sometimes you're just lucky. Like I mean, I mean, <laughs> a couple of things. I, I would say there's a there's a um, I, I when my scoutmaster went to jail on um, uh, sexual abuse charges, um, I was called to give evidence. And I remember the child protection unit just being the best bunch of people, just like, you know, caring, really uh, determined to, to get the evidence required, you know, mm. required not, not in an underhand way at all, but in a very thorough way. Um, and so I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's really great that, you know, that, that kind of uh, police work is done. But then when I did Top of the Lake, uh, I played a cop, a Christian, a detective, and Christian Van Vuren and I were, were uh, um, we, we spent some time with the detectives. I think it was Bondi, mm. and my God, they dress well now. Like they are, like you know, that whole kind of like you know the cliche of the Roger David suit, which I talked about before, is completely gone. They're generally only cops until they're about thirty-five, mm. and then they go off and make a huge amount of money in the corporate sector doing corporate security and, right. and everything. Now, so you very rarely get anyone in the. Well, they were telling me you very rarely get anyone uh, over forty working in the. In, well, in like detectives, yeah, being be a detective. Well, also to like my, when I was doing my police training before blue healers had like two weeks of, of police training and did like a week of ride-alongs and what oh, i determined what i determined is if you meet a constable or even a senior constable in their 40s they're a dead shit <laughs> like, oh, gotcha. because they are like anyone with any kind of common sense or actual commitment to the job who wants to actually do good they rise up the ranks fairly quickly but the guys who just like putting on a uniform and being bullies <laughs> Like they yeah. tend to stay at that level. So if you're a young cop, you'll, you'll, you know, it's only three months of training or whatever before they're out of the academy. And then, you know, you can rise pretty quick if you've got any aptitude for it. But if you're, wow, if you've been in that job for yeah. 10 years and you've only risen as far like one rank, because these two guys that I had to do the ride along with out in Preston, I think it was. And um, I remember like the first day they were so like, Ugh, this fucking, we've got to babysit this little, you know, spoiled Brad actor. And so they didn't want to talk to me for the first like hour or two. And then when I started asking questions, they were like, oh, cool. Like we get to, you know, talk up, you know, what we big do. Ourselves. Like, big note ourselves. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, we've got to get you some action, man. Like we've got to get you, you know, hopefully there's a stabbing or something like that. And I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to keep me well away. I just, the, the, <laughs> you can just tell me about it. I can, I'm good at I've got a good imagination. I can absorb it. <laughs> Um, but I remember we went to one, we went to some, um, like boarding house where a lot of, uh, criminals, when they get released, it's the only place they can afford. Oh yeah. Halfway so they, house. Yeah. So they went there and they said, just 
you're a plainclothes detective if they ask who, who you are. I'm like, oh, okay. So we walked in and they just did some kind of like check on who's staying here with the the woman who ran the boarding house. And then she sort of looked at me and she was like, uh, you undercover? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like in a, in a sense, I, I guess I'm undercover. Like I'm an undercover actor, not an undercover <laughs> uh, And then um, uh, it got to the end of the day and they were really bummed out because there'd been no – no call outs or anything. And then they finally got a call and it was um, the department of health services uh, were calling because there'd been, there's a, a man with dementia an elderly, I think he was like Scandinavian. So it's Norwegian or, or something like that. And he'd been on his front lawn waving around a knife and the neighbors were worried that he was going to, going to hurt himself. And so the DHS had turned up, but he'd locked himself in the house. And so now they were calling the police to come lend some assistance. And so these guys, they hit the lights, you know, we blew through a couple of intersections. We got to this like suburban house and, uh, you know, the ambulance there, the DHS, and they're like, oh, look, he's locked himself inside. He's ranting about his stolen money. So, you know, clearly he's in the grips of some kind of psychosis or, or dementia. And so we go up to the front door and the two constables are like talking to the guy through his locked flywire. And the guy's like, you know, ranting and raving about, you know, my money, my money. And he's got this little, I guess it's like a carving knife. That was the knife that the neighbors are seeing him waving around. It wasn't like a butcher's knife or anything. It's like a little, you know, like a whittling knife. Oh, yeah. And so he's got that in his hand and the cops are like, mate, you know, can you just put the knife down and just come up? We just want to talk to you. We just want to talk to you. And the guy was like, no, 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 no. They've taken my money. They've taken my money. And so one of the cops says to him, hey, look, we just need proof that this is your house. So can you just go get your title deed and bring it back? And then we can, we can keep talking. And so... The guy, the old guy went off. And while he's doing that, the cops pulled out their like pocket knife and cut through the flywire and unlocked his door. And then when this old man came back, and when I say old, he was like in his 80s, like brittle. He came back, yeah. they yanked the door open, they gang tackled him to the ground, like smashed him into the ground, like put his arms behind his back. Like the DHS and the ambulance were like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Like, just we just need to get him into the ambulance. But oh they were, oh my god! And so they got him into the ambulance, and then afterwards, the ride back to the station, these two dudes were so pumped up, like that, that the adrenaline was running. They oh, wow. wanted to go for a drink afterwards, and I'm just like, this is fucked up. Oh my! God. And had you done any acting on Blue Hill? Is that up until no. that moment, or was this part of your prep? That was part of my prep. No. Um, <sighs> But then I then I went in and, and did some actual work at the academy with the detectives, and that was actually very helpful. Now they, they were great. It was just these two guys that I remember thinking. Two guys. It's like right. We had we did it. We I worked on No Activity in the US, and we, we did an, did an episode where Jessica Albert is uh, doing a, a ride along, and um, as as yeah. herself as Jessica as Albert. A, or- oh, I think she was insert famous actress. Right. I don't know. She, she was herself actually. I can't remember now. Um, we were after Margot Robbie for a long time, and we thought we had her on the hook, but no. Um, Jessica Alba's fine, um, but uh, yeah, that, isn't she? Yeah, a it was, billion, isn't she a billionaire now? Or something? She she come up with some kind of uh, she runs some baby business empire or something like that. Wow, well, you're the dude. You, you're asking me. Oh, you're no. the you're <laughs> Mister Zeitgeist. You're Doctor Zeitgeist. <laughs> Doctor Zeitgeist. I I um, but so so. What My era point were being you? Is why did she do no activity? <laughs> nah, that's right. I think she thought it was funny, but if the, you know the, those, you know Patty Bramall. In um, do you know uh, what? Do you know what she's those. worth? 
She oh, has a she runs a company that is valued at two billion dollars, <laughs> and she has a personal net worth of uh, almost four hundred million. Um, so it's amazing you got it. <laughs> like, I mean, I know you wanted Margot Robbie, but it's actually more impressive that you got the 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 person who runs it's the billion dollar company. That's unbelievable. And here I was really excited. We got, I mean, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, just go. But when Bob Odenkirk came on board, oh, that was that was a special moment for me. Yeah, he's um, awesome. And they got, well, I mean, not not that I'm, I was a crowd. I was just, a, I, I was just helping out with the writing. But um, there was uh, uh, Will Will Ferrell was on. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, you got a great. Oh, they got a great cast for for No Activity, the American version. I mean, not, yeah, the Australian cast was also excellent. But like the names yeah. that you got, considering how low budget the show was, like that Jesse Clements. Yeah, that was just a, a testament to to obviously the concept and you know. Yeah, Trent and Patty, Trent, Trent O'Donnell, and Patrick Bramwell, the creators of it, and you know, it's. Uh, um, can, can I just you know reiterate? I, I was just a hanger on. Uh, <laughs> so, so, please don't think I'm taking any credit for. This no, no, no Adam Swaz, no activity. I believe that's how it's <laughs> <laughs> on CBS um, Demand, Direct, what it's called. Yeah, I um. I wrote the episode. I mean, I was in the room, but I wrote the episode called "The Crow." If anyone's interested, right? Um, it was uh, Will Ferrell. I think said one of my lines. So you know, uh, rock and roll. But yeah, what era were you on Blue Healers? Who was uh, the cut? Like the mid two thousands. So I think I started at the end of two thousand and three and wrote it to the end. Yeah, yeah, ditch, yeah. We were partners. We were our characters were um ditch as in whole. Um yeah, so forgive me for I wasn't still watching uh, <laughs> uh, uh yeah, we uh, I the our backstory was we were childhood mates and now 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 are cops. So. Well, I mean I've got to, so you, I did you know, I did my two tours of duty on on Blue Hill as the first characters. One, yeah, 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 but oh well, you—they had two different names, Charlie. Okay. They were pretty much the same character. <laughs> uh, criminal um, or good guy? Oh, crooks! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Arnie Violet and um, and I can't remember the other one. Um, uh, so so, um, the first one was Will McInnes was uh had to throw me up against a caravan. It was a tent boxing episode. Yeah. And Will McGinnis throws me up against the caravan and the director says to him, Will, you need to pad Adam down now. See, And he goes, how do I do that? And the director goes, yeah, you just pad him down. And Will goes, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm an actor <laughs> playing a cop, all right? I'm not actually a cop. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, uh, tension. And Will was just being, you know, difficult. Yeah. And – that same time, Damien Walsh Howling said to Lisa McCune, we're just about to do a scene, and he said to Lisa McCune, Lisa, you've got a little bit of a lazy eye. <laughs> the fuck, for action. What the fuck are you doing, Damien? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. you just got a little bit of a – you've tried to make it sound cute. you got a little bit of a lazy eye. <laughs> and I accidentally kicked Tasma Walton. Uh, well, while I was being arrested, that was a that was a low low point. Sorry, yeah. Tasman. Is it Tasma? Tasman. Tasma. 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 
Um, so that yeah. was the glory days with Lisa and Tasma. I mean, they were a fucking rock star. Well, it's funny too, that show, the way it morphed from your kind of meat and potatoes, Aussie country drama. And then yeah. round about two, I think just before I joined, actually, they went to that NYPD blue, um, you know, desaturated, cinema verite, oh. handheld camera crash zooms in the interview in the interrogation room well that didn't happen in my day no no you would have been there for the country practice sort of style of shooting whereas i came in for the the gritty the realism (laughs) yeah they did when i joined it was actually it was doing really well i think we actually i mean it sounds insane we were axed when we were rating like 1.2 million like nowadays like that would just be that would be that'd be selling that concept that was stupid even then 1.2 1.2 million. Well, I mean, anything over 1 million is a, I th- is I a th- win. I think the um, they had to they had to lose a drama because they're trying to get the footy rights back from 10. Uh, so they were trying to pull their money. And so it was a question between All Saints and Blue Healers. And I think All Saints was an in-house production. They owned it. Uh, and Blue Healers was Southern, Southern Star or yeah. one of and those. You, I mean, they could have just limited the amount of episodes. I mean, how many episodes did you oh, shoot a year? It was insane, like 40 or something like that. Like a <laughs> It's insane. And by the way, the best crew ever. Yes. I re- it was like, you know, I've done a lot of – it was just so welcoming to guesties. And we've discussed this on this podcast before. I mean, being a guestie is like being the first day – being a kid on the first day of school. Yeah. It's a horrible experience. No one wants to talk to you. And Blue Healers were always really friendly, yeah. you know. Um, All those long-running dramas, I find that's the case because Stingers were... wasn't. Stingers oh, really? wasn't. Oh. No, actually, McLeod's and, wasn't either. <laughs> no, and Sea Change wasn't either. Uh, but yeah, it was it, like. Um, but I remember once uh, on Stingers, and by the way, love Peter Phelps. Uh, uh, but Phelps, he came in, and this is uh, like he just done Baywatch, so he was top of the pops. Yeah. And uh, he came in to the dressing room and it was obvious that someone had read his age and read his paper. Right. And uh, and then there was a big kind of inquisition as to who might have <laughs> read his paper. <laughs> There's no ending to that story because I don't know who ended up reading, but he goes, who the fuck read my age? That was always the rule on um, – I only did like three months on Neighbours, but I remember in the green room because the green room was like a big shared, you know, communal green room that I sat down in um, – who played Lou on Neighbours? What was that actor's name? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, anyway, I, I sat yeah. down in his chair and apparently like that was a huge no-no. <laughs> like oh, it just wow. looked like a chair. It wasn't, it wasn't like marked or anything. Yeah. It was just a chair at a table. You and I sat, sat down in a loose chair. And someone Lou, said, "Oh, you can't sit there. That's that's loose chair." And I'm like, "Oh my oh, god!" Okay. Luke, I, Luke I, Carpenter I, I was played by Tom Oliver. Oh yeah, Tom Oliver. Yeah, it was Tom Oliver's chair. Yeah. <laughs> had a very deep voice, Tom Oliver. I remember. Um, I, wow. Um, I remember meeting Phelpsy at a Logies one year, and I completely endeared him myself to him because I'd read his memoir. Sex, Sex without, without Madonna. Madonna, and I'm Mate, I, I don't know yeah. um, I I don't know even how I came across it. I I just remember seeing it in the library and being like, oh, you know, they think back in those days, like uh, Australian actors writing memoirs about times in Hollywood were pretty rare, and so I yeah. read it and I quite enjoyed it. And I saw him at the Logies, and I sort of, hey man, like I, I really, and he was so chuffed that someone had read oh, his book. He just he just wanted to sit down and have a, 
have a chat oh, about it. Yeah, I remember at the height of his, you know, when I just mentioned before, the height of his kind of Baywatch stinger's fame, he was at Sunset Strip in St Kilda. Do you remember that on yeah, Grey Street? Uh-huh. And yeah, near, the, near the intersection. Yeah, and uh, it was at the bar, two blondes either side, dark sunglasses, and he was kind of people coming up to him and he's like giving them nothing. And then my mate went up to him and said, I read, I, I read your book and I loved it. Felt sick. And sunglasses came off, <laughs> untangled himself from the girls. Really? Really? What, what, you, you liked it? It's funny too, man. Like when uh, Will used to have an apartment in West Hollywood. Oh, you've been to that apartment. You came around. Oh, yeah. We did some pods there. Um, and did you know that Dolph Lundgren lived in that same building? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we talked about it, but it became a running joke on on Tofop when I was staying there and Will was back here. I was like, I keep running into Dolph at the at the gym, and I want to <laughs> I want to talk to him, but I don't know what the in should be because everyone's going to come up and be like Rocky Four or you know whatever. Durago, you know, Ivan, Ivan yeah. Drago, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I watched one of you. He did a TED talk. Um, about uh, uh about mental health because uh, he'd been through some kind of uh, mental health breakdown he you know had a i think a fairly rough childhood growing up in in sweden and so i was in the gym and he came in uh, as he normally did and you know we normally would just nod at each other and not talk and then as he was finishing up i was finishing up i said g'day Dolph. i said my name's charlie we actually you know we're, we're neighbors I said, um, man, I just happened to see your, your TED talk and I just thought it was fantastic. And hey, same thing. Just was so wrapped that someone wanted to talk about something other than playing <laughs> He was like, oh, yeah, that was really, you know, I worked really, I was very nervous about that, you know, but I'm so glad. Where did you see it? And and, and, and so you're Australian. No, I spent quite a bit of time in Australia. In fact, I worked on the, and I said, I know. Oh, him. yeah, know. yeah. You worked well, on the like Dave Darick you know. who, who worked with him. Um, yeah, and that's then the- where you met Grace Jones, I believe. <laughs> and wow. now all of a sudden like well the, now you know too much information you, you're, you're such a journo mate i mean i think you're probably a natural journo i mean to, to kind of always work the angles like that that because that's what journos <laughs> need to do is like you gotta go okay i'm interviewing this person who's being interviewed a thousand times what's my angle what's something different and uh you know you're doing that naturally so i guess <laughs> it's kind of inevitable that you're doing podcasts but yeah i, I live next door to chris o'dowd but i never I didn't have a um, an in. I didn't have an in. I mean, I, did, I had several ins, but I, I just didn't want to because I didn't want to because we lived next door to each other. It wasn't like we were in the same apartment. I, I just and he walked past me so many times a week. Mm. Um, I just didn't want to kind of go for him to make him feel uncomfortable and go, "Oh, there's that Australian fan." Um, right. Again, you wanted to I mean, you wanted to enter the conversation as on. on- part like as equals you well know, yeah yeah equal. so we can just be like neighbors as opposed to me going oh i really really liked uh, what you did in good you know and get shorty or uh yeah. you know uh it crowd <laughs> it is funny like, though like i mean it's uh, very very rarely people have come up and you know been have, have liked something that i've done and have told me and it is amazing how much you will look down on <laughs> That person, it's the great You don't want to belong to a club that would have you as a member. No, I don't mean that. But like, there oh. is, I understand the psychology of it because you're immediately seeding ground and you are creating this dynamic in which, yeah, one yeah. of you, you know, has some kind of uh, superiority, which is not not the case at all. Well, I have become friends with a fan, a couple of fans. Uh, 
you know, which is there was a guy who I, in LA who loved Wilfred so much that he actually came to a social engagement wearing a dog suit. Mm. Um, and once we got over that, I, I just like <laughs> get over it, mate. Ask me any question you want. Okay, we answered it. All right, great. After that, top guy, yeah. just the best, you know. And um, you know, <laughs> but it, I, I just think you know. I, I think talking of Blue Healers, Damien Walsh Howling after he left Blue Healers, um, you know, he, he needed to get a job because it's just you know, as an actor in Australia, there's not much going. Um, mm. And so he became a lifeguard at the Richmond Pool, oh, yeah. and all. And so he did the course with a whole lot of other people, and everyone was like, like really starstruck and being weird to him on the first day. And afterwards, he goes, "Okay, I'm just going to sit here, ask ask me any question you want, and I guarantee, you know, in 20 minutes you won't give a fuck anymore." And they did, and they didn't give a fuck anymore. He was right. Yeah, you know, it's funny too. Like there, there, there are certain, like I often hear comedians talk about like other comedians, comedians are always the most unforgiving about other comedians. Like you think yeah, there'd be no, some no. level of, but they always talk about, um, oh, there are some kind of comedians who hate their fans. Like they'll take their money. They'll willingly take their money, but they just fucking yeah, hate wow. the audience that they've cultivated. Wow. And, it's a re- and it's a really like cynical position to be in where it's like, yeah, you know, I tell these jokes, but if you laugh at them, you're a fucking idiot. Oh my but God. Then I, then I think there is the flip side of that with um like people like amanda palmer or kevin smith you know these people who have small but really dedicated following like kevin smith's entire career now is catered to just that one audience like he has stopped trying to make things that appeal to large audiences and he literally makes the most um uh like uh, I don't know what the word is. We like it, it's almost up its own ass. Like he makes yeah. films about himself to feed to his fans who love him. And so, yeah, I just saw the the and I like Kevin Smith. I mean, I must admit, like I I like him more as a podcast than I ever really did as a filmmaker. But now he's sort of drifted into this real kind of like uh, circular kind of content creator. And I saw the trailer for Clerks Three, and I'm like, I'm watching it, going, who is this? This is just for like a very, very small audience of the people. But rather than sort of go, what a, you know, what a, like, good on him. Like, he's just decided that he is going to, he knows who his audience is. He doesn't, has no interest in, in, in receiving criticism or like, he just wants to play the hits to a crowd that love the hits. I I think in many ways, that's where entertainment is going. Yeah. Um, so it's like you know, remember you know the idea of the where we knew the top ten films each week or top ten singles. I mean, it's totally irrelevant. So you just kind of play to that audience, and you hope to kind of slowly expand that audience. Um, and then you, you know, you the, the the byproducts are that you you become immune to the the lamp. Well, you're not part of the the massive lambasting that goes on, you know. Mm. Um, but by the way, does Kevin Smith do a podcast where you? Where he jumps in freezing water with his guests, like a no. kind of an ice bath. Uh, I mean, he may. I haven't listened to them for a while, but I doubt it. That doesn't sound like something he would do. I used to see him in LA as well. You know, it, it became a thing. You know, if you go to Whole Foods on the corner of um, uh, Santa Monica and oh god, I yeah, it was near yeah. Um, uh, yeah. uh, La, La Cienega. 
That one? I uh, Brea. No, the other the Is other side. Um, yeah, it's a big one. Um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if I, I'm going to say um, it's not Santa Monica, uh, West Hollywood. You can cut this out. This is really. If you don't cut it out, I'll just speak over. Um, uh, I'm leaving this all in. It's all. <laughs> um, this is Adam Googling. It's uh, not the, your connection is not private. I can't look onto that <laughs> one. Um, Does it matter uh, where geographically it is? Is it is it essential to the story? I I don't know if it is essential to the story, but I used to see so him there all the time. But I used to see. Um, all these kind of uh, celebrities, you know, the guy who played Freddie Mercury. Um, oh yeah, he he it's was there. Uh, Odin Cook would always be there. Um, and Kevin Smith would come in, and I used to watch see Kevin Smith, and then he was kind of he was um, kind of unhealthy looking um, and big. Mm. Then he had the heart attack, and he just lost, you know. Three quarters yeah, of his body weight. Now. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he's gone completely vegan. I think his philosophy is that he ate whatever he wanted for the first 45 years of his life. And now he's like, I'm, I'm going to be following a, a, a healthier diet. Um, oh, I, mean, get, I mean, actually, he, he didn't really die. Yeah. Well, I think it was called a widowmaker, the type of heart attack he had. It's because, like, there's a very rare. Listeners, people surviving that, and I believe, I believe that is the plot of Clerks Three: is that one of the clerks has a heart attack and then you know gets this new lease on life and decides to make a film about. Um, let's just fair facts. I mean? like if anyone very... cares, oh sorry, sorry, there's a, there's a delay then. That's all right. You're you're talking about Widowmakers, and I was talking about is the corner of Santa Monica and Fairfax. <laughs> But no, I'm glad we came to that and came back to that. It was clearly, clearly bothering you, mate. Um, I've been forgetting things recently, and I'm 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 a little worried. So I, that that I think that's where it comes from. Why I needed to find out. I've been going. What's I forgot Mike Myers' name the other day. Ah, oh. uh, yeah, but don't you think it's like the Homer Simpson rule where yeah. he's like every time he learns something new, it pushes something old out. Like there's only yeah, I hope so, mate bandwidth and so it's like the longer you go on you're absorbing and there's a lot to take in with the world yeah 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 i mean that's why i can't remember any of the names of the the teachers from my high school um mr uh i didn't know hey uh mr hartley my mr hartley Hartley did dirty limericks with in latin fuck yeah i believe that is this is my i'm gonna have to see i'm gonna actually have to look this up (laughs) Latin to English translator. Uh, there was a podcast I used to listen to. Uh, I was Dax Shepherd, where um, where there was fact checking at the end of it, right? Where the, the assistant used to kind of trawl through the podcast and they go, "Okay, uh, you, you you got your Latin slightly wrong there. That actually that in fact means blah blah blah." Um, now, Adam, you didn't go to school with the whole Wallabies. You only went to school with three of them. <laughs> they would actually do that. At the end of the podcast, yeah. I mean, this is if I if this is completely wrong, and this is so baked into my memory. I was close, so I thought it was uh, "hic ud luscus and du parator." Is this is my one eyed general? It's actually "hoc est luscus generalis." 
So uh, what does imperator mean? What's imperator? I wonder if that's actually a word. A huge, there's a huge writings uptick around this point. <laughs> For the, let, the, the <laughs> Latin heads out there. Imperator. Imperator means to, is an emperor. Oh, so maybe it was, this is my one-eyed emperor. That's probably what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, so instead of general, emperor. Yeah, this is my one-eyed emperor. So I knew I'd remember. Same I pretty thing, much mate. remembered that clearly. Same, <laughs> same person in power. Uh, <laughs> one lovely, a dick metaphor so yeah, it's, yeah. It when it comes to dick metaphors yeah, let's, not, let's not let's not split dick metaphors you know it's not gonna make the herald sun that you, you got you got that wrong um but uh, yeah I, after you uh adam uh for you listeners out there adam uh, was around for dinner the other night and um after you left um i uh i was going to sleep and i started thinking about your book and a, a story that came up that I started laughing, like as I was drifting off to sleep, annoying my my wife. Um, <laughs> and I forgot to ask you about it because it's it's a story from Twelve Summers. But uh, you, one of your early big breaks was that uh, the ad campaign, the three for free campaign, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, which people? What? Who was that for again? What company? HBA, which was, HBA. which was, I don't know. It's like basically Booper these days. Yeah. Booper, right. Okay. So people might remember it, especially, you know, uh, it was like late 90s. Is that right? Late but 90s, when it, it was in Victoria, South Australia and oh, okay. Northern Territory, I believe, or maybe West Australia. It was, um, uh, I, it was 2001 and I was a guy with, I had fake teeth made. And uh, what the, the conceit was, I couldn't pronounce three. I would say free, and HBA were offering a um a deal three months for free. So I'd go and say, "Can I have free for free?" And yeah. you know that it became a thing. It was one of those things, like you know, back back in the the day, every now and then a commercial would just hit big, like mm-hmm. a, a like a Dougie the Pizza Boy. It would sort of yep. become its own yep. thing. But uh, was that bar took one of the you know the the bar took my part. Uh, you got but one leg went that way, and the other went that like a, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, that kid. Yeah. Oh, it's an HBA so, kid. Yeah, so this was this was huge. I mean, but I didn't even realize until I read your book that that was you. Like, I didn't put two oh, and two really? together, but I clearly remember that ad because we had the <laughs> fake teeth in for a start. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Tell people what the fallout from that was because I was trying to tell Jem and her dad the next day. <laughs> about the Did you show them the ad? That. No, I didn't. I actually should show them the ad. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I described it to them, but the, the, it was the it was the fallout because obviously Jem works in you know commercial direction. Oh, commercial. yeah, because Tony Rogers directed that, and he also That's directed right, yeah. uh, "Bit Me in the Parts" that that ad as well. I, um, so I, so yeah, you kind of have to be able to, to get those two references. But yeah, um, I so it was an ad. I had the so I was um, playing a character with um, you know as, as stated with buck teeth. And he was kind of gormless, but he was a really sweet character. Oh, yeah, can I have free for free? And she goes, what for free? And so, can I have free for free? She went, oh, free, free for free, free for free. And I go, yeah, 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 that's it. And she and I say, um, uh, does that also include optical? And she says, yes, and dental. And that's anyway, you kind of go out on that, right? Yeah. And did the ad, um. And then it wasn't screening in Queensland. Uh, I went for a holiday in Queensland and I came back and suddenly I was famous in Victoria. <laughs> like like really famous. 
like not the fame, not cool fame, not like oh wow, there's David Beckham. <laughs> it was really uncool yeah. fame. Not, where people not, not thought, Peter Phelps at the bar with two blondes and no, that's right. <laughs> it was just it was like people just like ah, putting their arms over me and going say it, say it, and I have to say, can I free for free? Oh, you're better in the ad. No, I had the teeth in in the ad. Anyway, um, <laughs> people running after me as I was walking, like I go for a jog, and people would r- r- chase me while I was jogging. Wow. And get photos with me, or the major thing was to put me on the phone to their uh, their wives. They'd literally run me, chase me down, ring that, grab hold of me, ring their wives. I've got him, the free for free guy. I've got him. He's here. Say hi. And I have to say fucking hi. And then there was um, the which situation- is stunning because it's more a visual gag. <laughs> than it is like totally. a, an oral game. Oh, it was always disappointing when they caught me. It was disappointing for them. It was disappointing for their wives. It was disappointing, obviously, for me. Um, but, you know, I, I was in the phone book, Charlie. So people knew it was Adam Zwar. The word got out was Adam Zwar. And so they looked me up where I lived. And it just it didn't say I lived at flat 7, number 7, West Bank, Ter- West Bank Terrace. Um, it just said number seven West Bank Terrace, but the woman who was the who who managed the apartments happily told everyone where I fucking live, what my apartment was. So I get knocked on, door knocked, and also I got um, cupcakes and stuff left for me, and notes saying I just want to oh, be kind to you and all that kind of shit, and oh. um, which was sweet. Um, yeah, and you know, so and then there was a. In the book, which I talk about, was uh, the the kid who had to leave school because he was called free for free. He was being bullied all the time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had to go – the advertising agency made me go around and speak to this kid, and it just made the whole situation worse because it's clear that I don't have buck teeth. I was wearing fake teeth. <laughs> But the, okay, yeah. so let's just don't let's not let's not like burn burn the steps on this because this is what I want to work through is so the agency uh, they get a bit of blowback and some bad press around a, a, a bullied kid at school yep, who's at got school, he had teeth, his parents dragged him out has of made yeah yeah and, and the, the ad made his life hell because everyone's calling him free for free, or free <laughs> yeah for, free yeah for free. And so the agency, in a desperate scramble to kind of like change the narrative or, 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 you know, get some good publicity, are like, well, we'll get the actor from the ad to go yeah. meet the kid, do a meet and greet. <laughs> yeah. And somehow. But they told me to bring my teeth. Things over. So that's their. But they told me to bring the like fake that's going to make it better. So they're in my pocket. And so, and they briefed <laughs> me and said, I said, I don't think I should bring out the teeth. Because they're fake and he's got real teeth. No, 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 he's going to love it. He's going to love it. And I went, oh, really? And you know where there's, you know, so I've been told a pup, you know, all the way out to, we went all the way out past Williamstown. Maybe it was Coburg. Maybe, sorry, not Coburg. Altona, Altona, Altona. And, um, and so we went out there and it was almost like one of those, it was a whole lot of kids in this very rundown house. One of the rooms had a dirt floor and there was also a lot of animals in the house, like dogs, cats, chickens in the house. Um, yeah. Big sit down, introduced to the kid and they're just trying – and they uh, say something, Adam. All the, uh, all the ad agency people look a million dollars. They look like they're 
they're on a very good wicket. I look like me. I look like just, you know, normal out-of-work actor. And they were – so there was a kind of a massive wealth uh, chasm there between the ad agency people and the people in the house. All the ad agency people and all so had perfect teeth. Had, 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 had the ad agency organised, like, cameras, were they trying to document this for some good press? Like, were they – what were they – is that what I, they were trying to leverage out of it? It was, some, like, a it was just story? to make – well, I think the school had complained and complained to the press, and so this was us just placating them. There were no – I don't remember if there was – I don't think there was anyone there from the local paper because that came, came later. Yeah. Um, and so I'm talking to the guy and I said, you know, I I used to have buck teeth too, you know. It's like it's hard. And then I remembered <laughs> that my parents could afford bra- – uh, so, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I had um, – and then I looked over at his mum and his mum just shook her head, like, we're not buying braces. <laughs> and I went, oh, I, I kind of grew out of it. Like, I, I remember stopping him midstream. <laughs> My teeth. And, saying, and he just looked at me as if to say, that's not going to happen, mate. And then um, <laughs> and then the ad agency women are kind of like pointing at my pocket where my teeth were. Show him the teeth. Show him the teeth. And I went, oh, he's not going to look at the teeth. And I, 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 I said, do you want to have a look at the teeth, mate? And he goes, no. And so the whole thing was a disaster. And and, she, and then they were kind of blaming me on the way back, saying I should have been more upbeat. And I said, what's there to be upbeat about? The kid's miserable. I totally get it. Um, there's nothing I can say that's going to take away the fact that he's got buck teeth and he's being bullied at school because of me. And... Um, in the end, the ad agency just stumped up two grand and got his teeth fixed, got him got him braces, which they should have done in the first place. I mean, that's the yeah, that's the best part of the story. Were you getting paid for your time? No, like you'd signed on to do this ad. Yeah, that was it. And so this extra cur- curricular to save <laughs> to save the ad agency some bad press. There was no reimbursement. There was nothing. They just no because you know the deal. Disdain for your lack of effort. You've done ads, haven't you? Yeah, but you don't. You could have said no. Oh, yeah, you yeah. So you, you get paid for the ad, and then they say the ad's going to run in these territories. Um, and if you there's more loading if you get on if it's more than just like Victoria, and if it goes around Australia, you get more loading on top of that. And then there's a photo shoot generally, and you get a little bit of extra money for the photo shoot. And that's it. That's your day done. Nowhere in the contract does it say you're going to be picked up and taken to Altona <laughs> to speak to some kid who's <laughs> been bullied because of your ad no i mean i would have charged a lot of extra money if you know so much extra money if i thought of that i mean it was a really traumatic experience and and i don't know why i was it's just awful and i was like like that whole notion of being a team player which is bullshit too he's like be a team player what what Mm. team i don't want to be part of your team yeah um (laughs) But I was very susceptible to that kind of shit in those days. Like if anyone said, I'll be a team player, Adam, I, like that that would get me. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. You know, yeah, are you saying uh, I'm not we, a nice bloke? You don't want to be a prick. You don't want to be a prick. And there probably would have been an, an element as well where you're like, oh, shit, I don't want this kid to suffer because of me. Like you are a compassionate person. Yeah, yeah, of course. Think, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it would I, help. But I just – the thing that like was making me laugh was just like how – poorly thought out the strategy was like yeah. there was no strategy really it was uh, yeah. just, like if you 
if you just if you had just kind of if you just sort of wargamed it like okay so this yes. will happen we'll take the actor out and just extrapolate it on what the likely outcome of that encounter would be at no point in my mind would I have gone oh the kid will start laughing the parents yeah. will hug uh, they'll go back to school and he'll be made school captain <laughs> you know, and all the kids have bullied him. What well, a horrible, 100%, like, what just, a horrible so weird. tactical kind of misstep the whole thing was, yeah. And, like, <laughs> maybe they thought, yeah, because maybe it tapped into the fact that at that point I was kind of a little bit famous in Melbourne, it must be said, um, yeah. nowhere else. And uh, they thought that that, "Quote unquote celebrity thing would actually, you know, push the situation over the line, which it, which it didn't. He wasn't interested. I was the name. For, I was the face for his pain, um, and mm. uh, and it was all, all horrible. And I got blamed for it. Good afternoon. Yeah, it was a good afternoon. Well spent. I, I yeah. really debated whether to put that in the book. I've done a lot of those um, uh, Good Friday appeals, hospital visits and stuff, which are actually fantastic. And I think yeah, they're yeah. great. Like they are a great way of breaking up a day for not only the kids, but the families who have to spend, you know, like you know, weeks sometimes in these hospitals. But I was, after the first couple of, uh, couple of years of doing it, I got very good at picking up when a kid had no interest <laughs> or if they were just waiting to see an AFL player or something like that. And I was very good at extracting the Cause initially I would go in cause like you, I'm like, I want to do the right thing. And I would sit with a kid and a lot of the times parents who had zero idea of who I was and zero interest in me being there. And if anything, I was just making the situation worse. I would see yeah. other actors, you know, from various shows I've worked on, really pushing hard, like virtually like juggling and doing handstands, <laughs> thinking that they needed to get a reaction and yeah. you know to do their job, entertain this kid. But sometimes you just got to go, oh no, like this is not, you want to meet Nick Natanui, that's fine. I'll just yeah. duck out and I'll see if I can grab Nick Natanui for you. That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I can read, I can read the situation. Well, me too. It's, it's, it, it is because it's a you know it's a situation we're all familiar with in Australia. It's like, oh, you're an actor, are you? Or you do TV? Oh yeah, what shows are you on? And you list the shows. No, haven't heard of them. Haven't heard no, of them. And them. Uh, yeah. and you go, well, that's fine. But what you know? Yeah. <laughs> don't let, I. I don't tell people now. I just go, look, you, you, you might, you, you, you probably haven't heard of them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, 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 my, my, my bugbear used to be that I would get someone to come up and say, Hey, um, I've never heard of you, but my sister's a big fan and would like a photograph. And I was always like, You could have made the same request without yeah. the disclaimer at the start. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> like, brother's a big know, fan. Yeah. I don't know who you are. That's fine. Like, yeah. that's, I don't know who you are. We don't need that. We don't need no. to, that exchange. Like, I'm happy to help you out. But just yeah. for some reason, like, you just need to let me know that you don't think what I do matters. Well, that's right. Or the caveat being that, you know, or the caveat of, like, my sister's a fan. As in, they, they could not. even say that, you know, it's like <laughs> I've viewed the length and breadth of your work and I've, and it has, as far as I'm concerned, it has come up short. Uh, but my sister, for some bizarre reason, re loves it. I would respect that. If someone had come up and actually said, look, I have seen everything you've done, frankly, not impressed. For some reason, though, my sister would like a photo. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't resonate with me. Um, 
and I've I've had debates with my sister about this, but no, you know, she won't be swayed. So I'm going to need your photo <laughs> and an autograph. Yeah, that's happened I, a lot. I the the other I've been on the other side of that equation where um, uh, actually I've got the jumper right here when Rob Harvey. This is an actual what I'm holding up for Adam. This is actually Rob Harvey's jumper. I won this in a. A oh, raffle wow. when I was twelve. Wow! Uh, a raffle at Moorabbin, um, and when Rob Harvey played his three hundred fiftieth game, they did a big testimonial dinner at um, at Marvel Stadium. It was Telstra Dome back then, and I took my brother, um, you know, three hundred dollar tickets or something like that to have this dinner. And then afterwards, um, you know, Rob gave his speech, and then was sort of mingling, and you could sort of just go up and have a chat to him. And my brother was really, really nervous. My brother's very shy. And he was really nervous. So I had to go up and say, hey, Rob, um, you know, my brother would really like a photograph. Is that cool? And Rob was very obliging. I didn't say, hey, Rob, my brother's a big fan. I <laughs> think that you should have won three brown lows. That, that, that's right. That's uh, right. And so he got the photo. <laughs> so, so my brother got the photo. And then I said to Rob, um, I said, look, you know, you know, uh, really I've been, I admire you. I'm a huge Saints fan. Just, you know, thank you so much for what you've done for the club. And I said, funny story, Rob. Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, uh, we beat this. We beat the Hawks at Moorabbin for the first time in like 17 years. And uh, I was at that game. And afterwards, I went to the social club and there was a raffle and I won your your jumper. And Harves was like, oh, that's great. Uh, excellent. And then I said to him, I've still got it, Rob. <laughs> and <laughs> I saw the look on his face shift between, oh, that's a nice story too. Oh yeah. no! <laughs> I'm like oh no! Like yeah. I mean, Rob Harvey had a sidestep like no other, and I, I he he did a great shimmy to just merge back into the crowd. That's right, it kills you. But you know what? No one was there to kind of remind you of that. It's like unfortunately, Amanda was there when I met Alan Border, and um, I said to Alan Border, "I used to live in Chapel Hill," and he goes, "Yeah," and I named the street, and then I named the number. And, uh, you know, you can tell the, ha, ah, ah. And the thing is, I used to have to take Borders Weekends in the house next door. So uh, my, the family that I, I stayed at, at Borders Weekends with was next door to Alan Borders. That's how I knew. But That's just the, the, watching the blood drain from his face and then and Amanda pointing out that I got too far, the whole thing is just like I hadn't seen the conversation from his perspective at all. I'd just seen it from mine and, and – uh, once I realize, yeah. well, you're on a roll because you, um, yeah, you're you're on a roll. You, you you'd sort of got him, and so it's, it's yeah. hard because you're like, oh, this person that I admire, we're having, we're connecting, and so you yeah. start bringing out more and more info, and then you you share too much. Oh, and also, I think I was just overexcited because he'd seen a play that I'd written. It was called The Inner Sanctum, and it was about cricket. <laughs> and he'd seen the play, and he thought the actors had written it themselves because that's. People not in the industry tend to think that sometimes. Um, and so that he mm. went up to the actors and he said, how did you get all that right, all that cricket stuff? How did, that's exactly what the, the dressing room talks like and blah, blah, blah. They said, well, we didn't do it. It was Adam. Adam wrote it. He came over and he goes, oh, mate, you, that was great. I really loved it. So I was on a high. And then because, you know, yeah, he was my wow. hero. And then I said, stupid, I said a bunch of stupid shit. What can you uh, do? You what, what are you going to do? <laughs> you, should never, you should never meet your heroes in case you scare them into thinking that you're some kind of stalker. <laughs> and by the way, sports people too. You know, it's like forget about it. It's like Robert Harvey, yeah. Alan Border. You know, if I met Juddy, that'd be weird. 
Um, I just wouldn't be able to behave like a normal human. So I can meet any actor. doesn't matter. Director, singer, none of that matters. But sports people, it's like yeah. it ticks onto another part of my brain and I act stupid. Uh, well, if you want to know uh, some more fantastic stories, uh, Adam's got a book full of them, 12 Summers, uh, available now. I'll put a link in the episode description. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for coming back on thanks, Fofop. Charlie. Hilarious that you were literally you, you, it's, it's, in my house t- two days ago with all the recording equipment, but we waited two days later to do it, <laughs> like, down the line. <laughs> Only 20 it's minutes so away. Yeah. Hey, it's the world we live in now. It's the world we live in. And by the way, can I just say that last time I was on your show, uh, uh, it was a huge uptick in 12 summers sales. So you've got sway. Right, and we'll I really see if we appreciate can make that. It happen again. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Uh, well, you're, wel- you're, wel- you're, welcome. you're welcome back on the show anytime to talk about 12 summers or stalking Thanks, any mate. athlete you like. Uh, that's a invitation. That's Fofop <laughs> uh, for this week. I'm Charlie Clawson. Oh, I'm Adam Zwa. You say you're Adam Zwa? <laughs> I'm Adam Zwa. <laughs>